Our text this morning is Hebrews 4 and verses 14 to 16, and this is a, a wonderful letter, and it focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ as God's appointed Messiah, as prophet, priest, and king. The prophet who makes known the way of salvation to us, the priest who offered himself on our behalf and shed his blood to accomplish our salvation, and the king before whom we bow in salvation. The Lord Jesus is the focus of this wonderful letter, and he is the focus of our text this morning. And this letter warns of the the terrible consequences for those who come near to the gospel and yet are not truly saved. And even in that passage we read together, all things are exposed and laid before the searching eyes of the Lord. The Bible says that we are sinners, that we we cannot save ourselves. And so the great marvel of the grace of God is that God has provided a way in which sinners like us can be saved, and that being through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, before I go any further, I want to say this to you. If you're here this morning, and you're still in your sin, and you don't know the Savior, then I would urge you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. He can save you and he can keep you and he can deliver you and all of these wonderful things which we're going to consider this morning. But you need to trust him for yourself. And you know, for those of us who do know him, it speaks to those who know the way of God, have professed faith in Christ, but maybe you've become discouraged and are in danger of drifting away from their hope. And Hebrews really encourages true believers to keep on believing, to keep on trusting, to keep on staying faithful to the Lord, to to hold on to Christ, to cling to Christ. Because in the Savior, their great high priest, discouraged and doubting Christians can find all that they need to take heart and to press on and persevere. You know, maybe you've come to the service this morning and you are discouraged and maybe your heart is crying out I believe Lord but please help my unbelief you know maybe you're here this morning and you you just feel as though you're ready to give up because you know the battle seems so intense and sims seems so strong and and you're just tired or maybe the world is pulling you maybe you're starting to feel attracted to go back to former things or perhaps, you know, you're, you're tired in a different way. You want to be faithful, but, you know, work is hard. Or maybe family life is, is just not quite falling as we would want it to be. Or, or maybe we've been facing lots of health troubles and, and they're getting us down. Or, or maybe, you know, we've just begun to drift. Whatever your situation this morning, believer, the Word of God is calling you to hold on to Christ. And beyond that, And more marvelous and wonderful is this, that Christ is holding on to you and he won't let you go. Christ is the one who gives you strength. He is great and faithful and compassionate. And even as we just sung together, he is full of truth and grace. And so we need to see a number of things about this text this morning. And the main thing is to see the great high priest who holds us. Look, if you will, at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Notice that the author doesn't say, seeing that we have this this knowledge, or, or seeing that we have all these good works. 
or seeing that we have this, this great experience. No, he says, seeing then that we have this great high priest. You see, what he's doing is he points us away from ourselves to find our hope in Christ. The one true priest is the only one with the greatness and the position and the accomplishments and the grace and the power that we need. And you say, well, how is this high priest great? Well, see, if you will, the greatness of his priestly sacrifice. You know, as sinners, Jesus Christ really is all that we need. He has offered himself as the, the perfect sacrifice to take away the guilt of all of our sin and to reconcile us to God. You know, a little bit earlier in the letter in Hebrews 2, verse 17, the writer says, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, make propitiation, what does that mean? Well, the Lord Jesus is both the priest and the offering. He is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament priests and sacrifices. He alone could give the, the sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God and God's wrath against sin. There was no other way. And so God cannot deny himself. God cannot compromise his justice. And so the Lord Jesus and his work upon the cross is the divine solution so that God could be just and justifier of those who believe. I wonder if that's ever become real in your life, that you know that you are justified with God, not because of you, but because of Christ. You know, have you ever longed to know that God's anger against your sins is, is quenched, that it's been removed, and that you've got peace with God? You know, that's what the, the writer is saying, that, that in Christ we have that. We can know that God is for us. You know, if you were to speak with people, there is so much unhappiness in people's lives, an emptiness and longing. And deep down, there is also often an unacknowledged fear that, that God is angry with us. You know, our, our conscience may, may speak even with only a whisper, but it still speaks to us of the wrath of God against sinners. But only the person and work of the Lord Jesus on the cross can set us free and can reconcile us to a holy God. You say, well, well how? What, what did Christ sacrifice? What, what offering could possibly satisfy the holy justice of God against the infinite offense of our sins? Well, the writer says it wasn't the, the blood of bulls and goats. He offered himself. Isn't that staggering? He offered himself. He gave himself a ransom for many. And by that one offering, which never needs to be repeated, he has redeemed, saved, delivered his people from eternal condemnation. He brings them into the favor of God. He opens heaven to them. He hung on the cross as the substitute so that one day they will sit with him on the throne in glory. That's glorious. It's so wonderful. You know, when we consider the horror of sin, it costs the very blood of Christ. You know, and my dear friend, if we remain unaffected by the love of Christ as demonstrated in his death, then our hearts are frighteningly hard. You know, he did that even whilst we were still enemies. Even when we didn't love him, he died for those who by nature hate him. 
crucify him. What a savior he is. And he is able to save to the uttermost, deliver even the very chief of sinners. His righteousness exceeds their sinfulness. And there is a, a fullness in his death on Calvary, which can never be emptied. He gave himself the greatness of his priestly sacrifice. And then also the writer speaks about the greatness of his, his heavenly intercession. It says in our text that he, he passed through the heavens. Now there it alludes to the Old Testament priest going through the veil into the, the Holy of Holies once a year to present the, the blood of atonement. But Jesus Christ, the great high priest, has ascended into heaven on high and there he sits enthroned into the very presence of his Father and he appears for us. And you know, exalted in heaven, the great high priest doesn't forget any of his sheep. He knows them all by name. If you're his, he knows you. You know, think of Isaiah 49. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Therefore, he will remember them forever. Each and every one, no matter how small and how weak and how insignificant you may think yourself to be, he knows you and he loves you. You know, it's such a comfort to us in times of affliction or or spiritual struggles, or even if we're, we're sliding backwards. Even then, believers are able to say, as Psalm 40, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. The Lord thinks upon me. And believer, no matter how afflicted or how harassed or how thrown about you are by the storms of this life, you'll never be forgotten. Your high priest, even on his heavenly throne, he sees you, he knows you, he, he cares for you, he prays for you, he pleads his own sacrifice. And he will not permit you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. And you know what, there's even more, because by his very presence in glory, the, the victorious sacrifice for his people means that their guilt, our guilt, will never appear before the judgment bar of God to condemn us. The atonement made on the cross for his people is continually kept on the, the, the foreground in heaven, as it were, by him who offered it up once and for all. That sacrifice is never forgotten for one moment in heaven because the high priest himself is always there. Romans 8, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And what an encouragement it can be for God's people when maybe the terrors of law or the power of sin or the accusations of Satan or even, you know, the pangs of our own conscience, as it were, attack us. By grace, we can look to him. And we can leave it in his hands, always standing there to answer all accusations. We have a wonderful advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous, the greatness of his intercession. And then the greatness of his person, our great high priest, assumed humanity, but it didn't in any way detract from his deity. Jesus is very God of very God. And so his priesthood is greater than all others because it is divine as well as human. Think for a moment, if you will, the relationship 
of the Father and the Son is so close, although they're two persons, they are one in essence. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And so when you apply that and you think of the incredible power of the Son's intercession, you know, with the Father, how, you know, how glorious that is. If the, if the Father were to deny him anything, he would also deny himself or else he would cease to be one with his Son, which is impossible. And so the intercessory prayer of Jesus, the Son of God, cannot fail. His prayer knows no limits with regard to its might and its power. And so what a great comfort for, for poor people like me and maybe like you who are being burdened with many sorrows. You know, feel at times that we, we can't pray any longer. You know, where we can just utter sighs and, and groans to him. But we find ourselves leaning more and more upon this great high priest whose intercession is always effectual. You know, and the application is so obvious. You know, we just simply need to hold on to Christ, to hold on to God's glorious Son, to hold fast our profession. Now, that expression means our public confession that we believe in Jesus as revealed in the gospel. You know, when we, we talk about holding on to Christ, it begins in the heart. But, you know, what is real in the heart overflows in the words of our mouths, the actions of our hands, you know, and our feet. Holding on to Christ changes how we conduct ourselves in all areas of life. When someone is truly converted, their life is changed. Now, a profession like that can cost us. It can separate us from family and friends, and it can provoke opposition and the challenge comes to us, do we own Christ, not just here amongst ourselves, but in our homes, in our workplace, uh, amongst our communities, or are we ashamed of him? You know, or, or is it that our heart's desire is that our, our whole life might be nothing but a, a profession of our faith in his name? You know, even though we find so many weaknesses and imperfections and, and inconsistencies in ourselves, you know, we still have that longing that we would commend Christ. You know, my friends, we often struggle. But the great encouragement of this exhortation is the promise that our great high priest, he will sustain us and he will hold us and he will intercede for us in the midst of all of our trials. And so there's always hope with him. You shall not perish. His priesthood secures you from shipwreck. In Christ, you are secure. You know, left to yourselves you know, you'd never reach your heavenly home. And so all glory to him who saves us and keeps us and will not fail us. He is a complete savior. He gives you all the strength to, to hold fast in all the troubles of life. And eventually he will bring you to that place when sinful self and sorrow and sickness and death and Satan will be done forever. And he will become your all in all forever. You know, your grip may be weak this morning, but his grip never fails, and he won't let you go. He is our glorious high priest. But I also want you to see that he is our compassionate high priest. He holds us, our compassionate high priest. There is a, a danger, if I can put it like that sometimes, that if we only focus on the greatness of Christ, now bear with me as I say this, 
we might fall into doubting whether such a glorious Savior would care for the small and insignificant ones like me and like you. You know, what does the Lord of glory have to do with me? Such a bundle of sadness and burdens and disappointment and temptations and sorrows and sin. How can he ever look upon me? But this high and glorious one humbled himself and he became a man of sorrows, despised and rejected. Verse 15 tells us that he went so low that he is capable of being full of sympathy and tender compassion towards his people. You know, he's not so transcendent that we can't reach him or or so distant and so far off, but he has been touched by all the challenges and all the sorrows that come to us. It's another reason why we can hold on to him because he understands. You know, his sympathy was learned in temptations. He went through unspeakable temptations and trials for his people. And as man, our text says, Jesus Christ was in all points tempted like we are. In all points. He was tempted during his whole life. You know, though with greater intensity during his years of of public ministry and especially as he went to the cross and upon the cross. You know, just think for a moment on some of those temptations. Christ was tried by the attacks of Satan. You know, think of following his baptism. Satan attacked him relentlessly for 40 days. And Satan failed as as Christ defeated every attack with the word of God and, and didn't waver. But it wasn't long and the the great adversary came back and sought to turn the Lord Jesus away from going to the cross. And when that failed, he he used Judas to betray Christ and and then came at him with great intensity in, in Gethsemane at Calvary. And yet Christ remained faithful, obedient and overcame the evil one. Christ was also tried and tempted by man's enmity. I just think his own brothers didn't believe in him. The crowd wanted to make him just an earthly king. The Pharisees hated him. The the Sadducees wanted to ridicule him. False witnesses scorned him. Soldiers struck him. His own friends abandoned him. One denied him. One betrayed him. Many watched him suffer on a cross and mocked him. And the loneliness and disgrace, it says in Psalm 69, broke his heart. And yet he quietly endured it all as a lamb to the slaughter. And Christ was tried by God's testing. All of the the Savior's testing was by the Father's eternal appointing and the, the Spirit's providential execution. And the greatest test being to bear the sins of his people. Never was such a demand placed on any other, nor could any other bear it. And Christ had to embrace the shame and the agony of the cross and endure the curse and the wrath of God against sinners, to be forsaken, to endure an eternity of punishment for each one of his own. And he faced it all, submitting to the will of the Father and the joy that was set before him, enjoying the cross. You know, when we consider ourselves, we are so quick to complain, so quick to grumble with our child. So quick to to resent anything that that inconveniences us or, or those who mistreat us. But what perspective we gain when we think of what Jesus endured for us. 
He was tempted beyond what all men together could possibly bear. And so we can hold on to Christ knowing that, that he understands that he's faced and experienced more fully the trials and power of temptation than we ever will. And he overcame and he promises to hold us as well. You know, he was tried, he learned. His sympathy is also guarded by his sinlessness. Look at verse 15, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus is holy and harmless and undefiled. He was fully tempted and yet endured. You know, have you ever thought that if he yielded to temptation just once, he couldn't have saved us from our sins? He would have needed saving himself. But he could offer himself without spot to God, a lamb without blemish, a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice. You know, he was without sin. In every way, in his nature, in his thoughts, in his words, in his deeds. But he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And you know, the perfection and sinlessness of Jesus guards his sympathy from any impurity. He has sympathy for his own, but never for sin. You see, he longs for the holiness of his people. But what is also amazing is this. He also has great sympathy toward our weakness. Verse 15 says that we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You know, his heart is moved with compassion for us. And it's more than just a knowing. It is a unity and heart and spirit as one spiritual family bound together by love and tenderness. And so when something touches Christ's people, Christ himself is touched. Jesus is our brother in adversity. He is our companion in sorrows. He is our friend in affliction. And he is sympathetic to our infirmities. You know, he's so patient with us. You know, when we're, we're stumbling or when we're fearful or when we're, you know, remain spiritually immature or, or when we're wayward. He's so patient with us. Isaiah 40. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And when Christ sees us stumbling along in the way of discipleship, you know, he doesn't respond harshly. Rather, our neediness stirs greater tenderness in his heart. He accommodates himself to the needs of his flock and he will not lose the weakest little lamb because this is the Father's will. And so you can hold on to Christ this morning knowing that he is not just a glorious high priest, but he is a compassionate high priest. He knows your burdens. He knows your sorrows. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your failures. And yet he doesn't turn away from you in impatience or disgust, child of God. His heart is for you. And he understands how hard it is to live for God in this dark world. And you know that wonderful verse, John 13, 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The Lord Jesus Christ will never leave you or forsake you, believer. He loves you. He forgives your sins. He will walk with you through all your trials, always. Our glorious high priest, our compassionate high priest, and then, as we draw these things together, our helpful high priest. You know, our Savior isn't just glorious and compassionate, but he can actually help us. 
Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, have you ever thought about this? With Christ enthroned as our high priest, as our great high priest, we have an open door to go to God. And not only to go to him, but to find the resources that we need. You know, nothing is more valuable than access to the king. And we know that God is able to help us. But, you know, maybe there are times when we, we feel afraid to go to God in prayer. And, you know, maybe we, we feel as though we've messed up. And, you know, we, we're, we're conscious of that. And maybe we, we say the words at times. But in our hearts, we, we just don't really believe that he's going to help us and appear for us. But verse 16 says that if we trust in Jesus Christ, the door to his throne is always open. And the help that we need is there for the asking. You know, this throne that we are to approach, it is the throne of grace. We use that expression. I wonder if we understand what it means. You know, a throne is a, a symbol of power and authority and greatness and, and wealth and dominion and dignity and royalty. You know, when you think about that vision in Revelation, God's throne is surrounded by a beautiful rainbow and, and like a storm cloud from which comes forth thunders and lightnings. And it's a, a constant scene of heavenly worship and, and adoration of the Lord for his holiness and his, his power and his wisdom and his strength and his glory. You know, it's an incredible scene. And the Bible says that his throne is a throne of holiness and of eternity and righteousness and sovereignty. You say, well, you think of all that, surely that's a throne to be feared. And rightly so. But in our text, it's given a very special name. It's called the throne of grace. And God's holy, righteous, sovereign throne is a throne in grace, a throne of grace. And so saving grace is God's purpose and power to rescue sinners like us from the hell they deserve and to give them the heaven that they can't merit or achieve. And grace chose those sinners before time began, redeemed them by the blood of Christ, calls them powerfully by the Spirit so that they are justified by faith and sanctified. And that grace carries them all the way through to glory. And God's throne of sovereign power is now a fountain of mercy and of grace. And grace, as one explains, flows like a great river from the throne of God and the Lamb. It is a cleansing grace, washing away our sins. It is a life-giving grace, making us fruitful for the Lord. It is a healing grace to relieve us of our sorrows and all those things. God's throne is not just a trickle, but it is a mighty flow of grace because of the love of God and the merit of Jesus Christ. And all our needs can be met. All the, the deepest thirsts of our soul can be quenched at this throne of grace. And, you know, we are invited to approach and we can approach boldly. You know, the gospel calls sinners to come to Christ freely. Revelation 22, let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Again, if you are lost, you are perishing in your sin. And I say to you, come to Jesus Christ. Find that grace and salvation. But this invitation is for believers in the Savior. And we need to come day after day to this throne of grace. 
And we come, it's an emotion of the heart. We, we come to God by the exercise of faith in Christ. We, we come to the throne by looking to Christ with that trust and, and calling upon the name of the Lord for the help that we need. And faith draws near to the throne through humble prayer. Do you know, backsliding often begins with a neglect of private and public prayer. And prayer reveals so much about our spiritual temperature. And I ask you, you know, how is your communion with the Lord? Not just saying your prayers, but how is your communion with the Lord? You're, you're speaking with him. You're, you're pouring out your fears before him and, and petitioning God and praising him and interceding for others and, and thanking him. Are you praying with faith in Christ that God's throne is a throne of grace? Are you coming boldly? It doesn't mean coming presumptuously or irreverently because we're going to the throne of God, but we come confidently and cheerfully pleading the promises of God to us in Christ. We go trusting that in Christ all our sins are forgiven. We go with faith that God intends to answer our prayers and to, to bless us with his grace. It's a throne of grace. And what do we find at this throne of grace? Verse 16 that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, we are blessed as we pray by faith in our great high priest. Doesn't mean that we will get everything that we ask. But it does indicate that God blesses the praying believer. And you say, well, how? How does God answer our prayers? Well, he answers with mercy. God's merciful heart is his compassion to relieve those in a, a miserable condition. He answers with grace. You know, mercy answers to misery. Grace answers to guilt. And God's gracious heart in his goodness, giving blessings to those who deserve only curse. You know, we have so many reasons to go to, to God's throne of grace for mercy and for grace and for help. You know, for forgiveness of sin, for protection, the power to live to God's glory in this world, to stand strong. And though we have received much grace, we always need to grow in grace this side of glory. And it's amazing because you can never exhaust his grace. You can never come to the end of it. The Lord Jesus is full of grace, full of help. And you know, these words can be translated well-timed help. And as we seek and wait on the Lord, his timing is always right. He is never late. And so we can have great confidence in him. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? How do we draw all these things together? Well, if you're not a believer here this morning, I say it with concern. None of these promises is for you. If you're outside of Christ, you will know nothing of these things. You know, if you've not turned from your sins and you've not trusted in Jesus Christ for yourself, the Lord is not your helper. This throne is not a throne of grace for you. It is a throne of judgment. And if you continue like that, the Son of God will appear with glory to condemn you. And the very sight of him will fill you with dread and horror and grief. And you will face an eternity of a punishment for your sins. But every one of these promises can become yours if Christ becomes yours. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. You can't get them any other way, only Christ. And so the question is, would you not trust him? 
Would you not come to him at last? Will you not finally bow the knee and know the blessing of sins forgiven and a great high priest, glorious, compassionate, and ready to help you? And what about you, believer? Do you see why we need to hold on to the Savior? Who can compare to him? You know, if he is everything to us, our Savior, our Lord, our great high priest, where will you find another who is so full of sympathy and compassion and tender mercy? Christ is the only way to the throne of grace where you meet with sovereign grace that is sufficient for all your needs. All the riches and treasures of heaven are available to his people. And so hold on to him. Hold on to him in the good times and the bad times. Hold on to him in times of suffering and hardship. Hold on to him to find strength in temptations and grace to persevere and help in times of doubt and discouragement. Through all our lives, we are to cling to Christ, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ alone, our hope in life and death. But remember this. It is not your hold on him that saves you. It is his hold on you. And so if you feel that your grip is weak, if you feel that you are faltering and stumbling, he holds you. And you need to remind yourself of that. He holds you and he will not let you go. He is praying for you even when we are not praying. He is loving us even when our love is weak. He is working in us by his spirit so that our repentance and faith will not fail. He is walking with us even at times when we cannot sense his presence. He holds us and he will keep us. And that should be a cause of rejoicing for us this morning. And if we're tired and if we're weary, we need to look away from ourselves and look again to Jesus. The glorious high priest, the compassionate high priest and the high priest who really is able to help us. And may we know his help today and all days until we are with him. Amen.